Hi, everybody. The Manly Saints Project is on the road this week, so sorry about the audio quality. Things should be back to normal next week. Okay, on with the show. Welcome back to the Manly Saints Project. I'm me, Hugh Hunter. We live in a world that struggles to understand the virtues of manliness. Our culture doesn't provide young men, or any men for that matter, with a lot of positive male role models. When I became a Catholic, I wanted to show how the saints could be manly role models for us. My weekly exploration of manly saints became the Manly Saints Project. If you enjoy my work, please consider signing up and supporting me on Substack, or click the links in the show notes to buy me a beer. Now, let's meet this week's Manly Saint. Join me today as we encounter a saint who fought side by side with King Arthur. Name, Geraint, Garantius, Garan, Garans, those are all variants. Feast, August 10th. Life, around the 6th century AD. Status, Saint. It was at the Battle of Longborth that Geraint went down fighting. Amid the clash of blades, foaming war horses, men shouting and pushing and bleeding and, striding through the chaos of the battle, the figure of King Arthur himself. The Welsh warrior poet Lewer Chen tells the story as one who was there. At Longworth I saw the tumult, and the slain drenched in gore, and red-stained warriors from the assault of the foe. Before Geraint, the scourge of the enemy, I saw steeds white with foam, and after the shout of battle, a fearful torrent At Longborth was Geraint slain, a valiant warrior from the woodlands of Devon, slaughtering his foes as he fell. Looking back over the centuries, we see Geraint most clearly here at the moment of his death. There are a few other hints about his life. We know he was a king in the west of England, ruling Cornwall, and probably also Devon. An 11th or 12th century source not only tells us that Geraint was recognized as a saint, but also that he was a king who had a son. His son was paralyzed, although we don't know the cause. We do read that it was through the prayers of the Irish saint Beriona that King Geraint's son was healed. And that connection, Geraint and Beriona, has left a slight mark on history in the place names of Cornwall. Gerens, Geraint, is not so far away from St. Burian's, Bariona. In another version of the battle elegy that tells us how Geraint died, the poet calls Geraint an enemy of tyranny and oppression. 
When Geraint was born, the poet writes, open were the gates of heaven. Christ granted what was asked. That's all the detail we have about what exactly Geraint did to become a saint. We can speculate that Geraint died fighting Saxons. The battle where he fell took place at Longborth, but that name is so old that no one knows where it was. However, the word Longborth means harbor, so the battle probably occurred when the Saxons were coming in from the sea and Geraint rode out to meet them and guard his home. Geraint didn't ride out alone. Although he was a king, even a king may serve an emperor, and the battle elegy of Geraint mentions the name of his overlord. In Longborth I saw Arthur, emperor and conductor of the toil. Arthur appears in a dark time in the history of England. The inhabitants of England had thrived under Roman rule. But then, as Rome began to crack under the weight of its empire, the legions were pulled back to stabilize Europe. During the reign of the Emperor Honorius in the early 5th century, the desperate cities of England sent a letter imploring Rome to send an army to help them. The reply told them that there was no army. England was on its own. This meant that the English would have to defend themselves against the Anglo-Saxon raiders who were now attacking from their lands in northern Europe, and even beginning to set up kingdoms of their own. Looking back, we know that the Anglo-Saxons would be so successful that they would give their name to the island, Angleland, and soon it would be impossible to think of what it means to be English without thinking of Saxons, like St. Oswald or Alfred the Great. But in the middle of the Saxon conquest, when defeat seemed inevitable, one king did stop the Anglo-Saxons, for a time. For one shining moment, his people had a window into another version of history, one in which all of the old things that they loved would return. It was a time, one of Arthur's knights would say, in Tennyson's magnificent poem, when every morning brought a noble chance, and every chance brought out a noble knight. But then Arthur fell in battle, killed not by the invaders but by his nephew. And without Arthur to hold things steady, history accelerated once again, sweeping away the world for which Arthur and Geraint had fought and died. Trying to find the historical King Arthur is difficult for at least two reasons. The first is that the same tides of history that Arthur was briefly able to hold back washed away much of the evidence that would allow us to say much with confidence about his reign. I think there is a second and more interesting reason why Arthur seems to be so lost in history that he has become a figure out of time. The reason is that Arthur speaks to a deep human need for manly leaders, for great men who can plant their feet and hold back the current of history. Such a great man holds back the darkness and creates peace and order. He does for his people what, at his best, a father does for his family. And both the father and the king are imitating what our Heavenly Father does for his people, the church. That is why there is a legend that King Arthur is only sleeping, and he will return to England in its hour of need. For there must always be great men like Arthur. And because Arthur speaks to us at such a deep level, 
stories began to be told about him immediately. Even soon after his time, people would say of a man that he was a great warrior, but he was no Arthur. Soon the Anglo-Saxons that Arthur had fought recognized that Arthur was a hero to them too. The Arthurian legend was told and retold. Medieval poets reimagined Arthur as a king of the high Middle Ages, and now Arthur reigned from Camelot, and around him, at his famous round table, were the greatest men of his time. Lancelot, Galahad, Bedivere, and even a certain Cornish king, who would one day become a saint. Geraint. In the Arthurian legends, we see another side of Geraint. There, Geraint is a prince who marries Enid, a woman from an impoverished noble family. Years earlier, he had been on a quest and had met her, fought for her hand, and married her, then taken her with him to King Arthur's court. At first, things go well for Enid and Geraint. The shy and timid Enid blooms in response to his love. But Geraint loves her so much that he begins to neglect his duties and his friends. He stops going hunting. He wants to spend all his time with his wife. With Geraint totally distracted, things in Cornwall begin to fall apart. Geraint's reputation as a man begins to suffer. Enid likes to be loved, but she is not a selfish seductress. And so she is the first to understand that something has gone wrong in their relationship. Geraint isn't behaving in a manly way. After all, Eve's curse is to yearn after Adam, and not vice versa. Enid wants her husband to love her, of course, but she also wants him to pursue something greater than himself, as men must. Enid very gently tries to explain this to Geraint, saying that perhaps it's her fault for not being a good wife to him. And in the story, Geraint gets exactly the wrong message. When Enid says that she has perhaps not been a good wife, Geraint concludes not that he is failing to be a man for her sake, but that he is not man enough for her, and that she has found some other man. And so, Geraint responds in the worst possible way. He insists that his wife ride out with him through the now bandit-infested lands he rules with no guards while he mopes in the saddle. Geraint tells Enid to be silent and just ride. As she rides nervously ahead of him, she comes across three bandits who are planning to kill him. She rides back to warn him, which only makes him angrier because he had told her to be silent. Geraint easily kills the three bandits, puts their armor on their horses, and makes Enid lead the three horses as he continues to mope. But as Geraint and Enid plod onward on this miserable trip based on a misunderstanding, Geraint fights against higher and higher odds. In a way, he is trying to impress his wife, not realizing that he doesn't need to. She knows he has the potential for greatness, she just wants him to pursue it. Eventually, Geraint is wounded to the point where he falls into a coma, and his body and Enid are captured by an evil lord. Enid tries to tend to the body of her husband, but the lord tries to seduce her. He offers, cajoles, threatens, and then finally turns to violence and hits Enid in the face. Unbeknownst to them both, 
the mopey knight, Geraint, has awoken and listened to Enid professing her total loyalty to him, even when she thought he couldn't hear her. In one smooth motion, he reaches for his sword, rolls to his feet, and decapitates the man who has just hit his wife. And then he realizes how sorry he is about the whole thing. Enid, I have used you worse than that dead man, done you more wrong. And so, through the twists and turns of the story, Geraint and Enid go home. And there at home, they fall into their proper roles as a man and a woman, having many children and being happy. Camelot may be only temporary, and we know what awaits Geraint at the bloody beach of Longborth. But for a moment, in Cornwall, St. Geraint shows us how to be a man. And there he kept the justice of the king, so vigorously yet mildly, that all hearts applauded, and the spiteful whisper died. And being ever foremost in the chase, and victor at the tilt and tournament, they called him the great prince and man of men. But Enid, whom her ladies loved to call Enid the Fair, a grateful people named Enid the Good. And in their halls arose the cry of children, Enids and Geraints of times to be. Nor did he doubt her more, but rested in her fealty till he crowned a happy life with a fair death and fell against the heathen of the northern sea in battle, fighting for the blameless king. <laughs>